So we're told in our gospel to watch, to watch for the coming of Christ once again, a season that we set aside each year to be able to do that. It is a great way for us to start off our liturgical year and to, again, recenter for the, for the ways in which our liturgies, our celebrations, our sacraments are going to help strengthen and minister to us so that we might keep our eyes firmly fixed upon Christ. Watch for the coming of the Savior. But it also brings up some poignant questions. Do we know the Savior when the Savior comes? And if we're honest with ourselves, what are we really watching for? We have to ponder those questions at the beginning of this journey, and we've got the perfect readings to do it. Our reading from Isaiah this morning have the Israelites lamenting to the Lord. In the midst of captivity, they're asking for his favor once again, but this is after some really good self-discernment, some really good introspection. And it has come to their notice, unfortunately, that they're engaging in some practices that they once despised seeing others do. And that is looking for the Lord to just supply their needs. And when he doesn't supply their needs, saying the old adage, which Janet Jackson conveniently put into a song, what have you done for me lately? Looking at the Lord's hands, they did, and forgetting to look to his face. Looking for him to do something meant that they were treating God as a means to an end, and not God as an end unto himself. And if we're honest, this is something that might indeed happen to us as we negotiate the complexities of life and the dramas rage out of control and so many things are vibrating and calling our name, it gets a little tiring and so we just want it all to stop. God, do this for me, do that for me. Be this for me, be that for me. And instead of focusing on the faith of our glory and our adoration to the Lord, using him as a means to an end. But when that happens, sisters and brothers, we have to ask ourselves, whose face are we really looking at at that time? What are we using as the context of our lives? Who are we giving great heed to? What are we really consuming our thoughts with? Shaping our deeds to attend to? Walking on this road, what is it that we listen to? Whose homilies are we abiding by? For some of us, it could be fear. We've got a lot to be afraid of. Trepidation is definitely something that is very, very common, particularly in our society, not just our society, but our world today. It is so easy to be afraid, waiting for the other shoe to drop having suspicions against one another, kind of approaching things with such caution that we are holding back the very giftedness within us that could bring forth hospitality, that can create the bridges over chasms and knock the doors into the walls. 
We hold them back. We reserve them. We become much more judicious. I don't know. Becomes our phrase du jour. For others of us, it might be anger. We're holding on to, and, and, and I, when I say anger, I don't mean the alarm clock that lets us know that something is wrong that causes to attention, but something that has been toxified to become resentment, frustration that moves to bitterness, holding on to it as a life force, so much so that we frown more than we smile, and when we do smile, it tends to scare kids and cause the wise of us to seek therapy. When it becomes our strength, we have to look at the role of anger. Is that the face that we are regarding? The face that causes us to be too litigious and to hold back because we're waiting for people to deserve my gifts and my love. Maybe it's pain. Maybe we've been hurt to the point that that's all we can listen to. That's all that we can see. And everything that we do goes to attending to it or trying to alleviate that pain. We try to use mercy. We, we try to forgive, but it just, just doesn't work. And we become very transactional about the way that we use these gifts that we have been given to share gratuitously as God has shared his love with us. Or it could be other things. It could be success. That we're trying to make a name for ourselves and for the people whose opinion matters in our lives. We're trying to achieve certain things because only then will I have the credibility. Only then will my life have the gravitas. Only then will people pay attention to me? Only then will I mean something. Never mind that oftentimes the goalpost to that success moves the closer we get to it. And the kind of transformations that we're called to make in order to garner that success takes us further and further away from how we were authentically put together. Or maybe it's a thing or a person in which we wish to have a relationship to make us complete, to make us whole, to make us worth something. Whose face is up there guiding our lives? As has been beautifully sung by our cantress, our responsorial psalm begs the Lord to help us turn to him so that we might see his face and be saved. For those of us wrestling with fear is to be saved from the immobilizing effects of fear that always says you can't, you can't, you can't and has us subdued and sitting down when our gifts are potent enough for us to stand up and to take the next courageous step. For those of us who are angry, we are saved from the fires of that anger, which poisons us to death. You know the old adage, when we find ourselves toxified with that kind of anger, we drink the poison hoping that the person that hurt us dies. But in fact, we're the ones who die. For those of us in pain, 
we're saved from the constant sting of that woundedness. And we are given in the salvific presence of the Lord and the graces that he gives us a balm that truly heals, that sustains, and that has us to go forward even in our brokenness to bless not just ourselves but everyone whom we come in contact with. For those of us whose face is on the material or the person that will give them meaning or give them wholeness, the face of Christ saves us from that temporary happiness so that we might put those things in good priority. Because let's be honest, those things are actually pretty good in their place. Amen? Oh, let's try that again. <laughs> All right, y'all. Places, everybody. Set and action. Because those things in their place are pretty good. Amen? Amen. But they can't be above the Lord. We can't use the hands of the Lord solely to bring them into being, but rather the face of the Lord so that we might see the glory of those things in perfect proportion. We're called to come together in this mission to take a look at that, to see how we might garner the face of the Lord in our lives once again and center on it, how we might get the strength, do the exercises that we need to do, take advantage of the wonders that are given to us from our second reading today. We are availed to every spiritual gift, Paul says to the Corinthians. And we are with the Lord Emmanuel. God is with us. Notice the verb tense. Not was, not will be, not might be if we do this certain thing, but is with us. And can we commune with the Christ who is with us to the extent that we're healed, that we live authentically, that we find ourselves empowered when we feel overwhelmed, and that we use our gifts with the credibility that they have been given, not discredited by a faction or a person that tells us we ain't worth nothing. We just say to them what we say in the, in the South, well, bless your heart, baby but to understand the Lord who empowers us and to listen to the Lord more attentively. On day one, we're gonna look at remembering our sacred call to holiness. Yes, each and every one of us has been called to walk this road of holiness as we have been created. We bring to it a cornucopia of God's wondrous gifts and its diversity so that we might indeed walk this road with greater strength together. Community, we like to say it means common union, and that's really cute. I, I like that. I like that. But it actually means co-munition. We strengthen one another. And to really take more advantage of that by taking more ownership of our call. Say not 
I am too young, said the Lord to Jeremiah. I called you and I know what I'm doing, says the Lord. Say not I'm too old, said the Lord to Elizabeth Seton. I called you and I know what I'm doing. Say not I'm too sick, said the Lord to Therese of Lisieux. Lay in that bed and pray people to, to, to strength and to, and to hopefulness. I'm the Lord and I know what I'm doing. And so can we hear that call much more clearly amidst all the other things that are calling us? Second day, we're going to refresh our works of love. Love tends to get a pretty superficial rap. It has to be cutesy. It has to be romantic. Yeah, and I do that on purpose. It has to be romantic. It has to, ooh, ooh, nice. No, we're not talking about that kind of love, okay? It's that and more. It's the agapeic love that is the energy, the life force that God gratuitously showers upon all of us so that we can be the people that he has created us to be. It is too powerful for us to keep within ourselves. It's like a good old biscuit. You have a good biscuit, you need to tell your friends, mm, yesterday I had some good biscuits. <laughs> That's how the love of the Lord works. It's too much for us to keep. In fact, even as we receive it, we want to share it. And how can we share it with the same strength that we're getting? First and foremost, we need to check that we're actually getting it, that we're not shielding ourselves from it because we don't deserve it. If we didn't deserve it, God wouldn't give it. Amen? Amen. Let me try that just one more time for the cheap seats in back. Make sure everybody got this. If we didn't deserve it, God wouldn't give it. Amen? Amen. It is a gratuitous love. And we need to take a look at how we might be shielding and, and, and holding some sort of umbrella up over so that we don't receive it because we don't think that we're good enough. Who's been telling us that? What dialogue and homily have we been listening to? And we take more advantage of that so that we might love others as we love ourselves. And then on the third day, we reune. I know that's a new word. Reunite. Yeah, okay. But we reune. And when the good people of God get together, there's always food. It's a time for us to truly feast. And might we bring our food to the table to feed those who might be hungry for the very blessing that we have. And we may feast on the blessings that others have for us. So that the light that St. Edward shines in Kaiser, Oregon and beyond becomes a brilliant, a more brilliant light. It always shines pretty brightly. But a more brilliant light to shine to those dark spaces in our city, those dark spaces in our living room and our kitchen tables, those dark spaces that might be in our hearts and in our minds. Let's eat. This mission is open for everyone, from infant to elder. Make sure you bring something to write with. I'll give you the workbooks. And we're gonna be, it's gonna be very interactive. Nobody wants to see me talk for 45 minutes to an hour. And I could do it. I could do it. 
but nobody wants that. We're going we're gonna to dialogue. We're going to reflect. We're going to look at our lives very honestly and have some good fellowship exchange so that we can lift one another up to a new hope. It's an opportunity for us to engage in this Advent journey with greater strength and greater purpose, with a better understanding of who we are and whose we are, so that the face we behold as we journey in this Advent season and beyond is the face of the Lord who saves and who is indeed with us. I'll see you all on Monday.